Our gospel lesson this morning is going to come from Mark's gospel, from Mark chapter 8, verses 38 through 31. I'm sorry, 31 through 38. And I invite you to stand as you're able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our gospel lesson. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your minds not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of then the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, my opening illustration, I'm going to warn you, some of you aren't going to like it. I can dug behind the pulpit if you want to throw things at me. I understand it and I respect it, but I just want to give you a warning before I begin my opening illustration because some of you are not going to like it. I'm going to talk about Ole Miss football, okay? We good? Okay, I, got, I know I got a few fans around here, but I'm just... I'm prepared. I, somebody, I saw Danny Lee get up to walk out. Like, I, I just know this. So I just wanted to give y'all a trigger warning before I talk about this. Okay. One of my favorite Ole Miss players, and the reason why I'm not talking about stakes, I don't know y'all's history like I know ours. One of my favorite players that Ole Miss had the last 20 years was Dexter McCluster. I don't know how many of y'all remember Dexter. What I loved about Dexter is he was five foot nothing, 100 pounds. And wound up playing tailback in the SEC, which is insane. Like, I, I, but I loved him so much for this reason. Back in the day when we first signed Dexter, I was in Ripley. And, you know, I used to have a problem. Like, I, I had a problem. Like, I never posted on a message board, but I went to him. Let me be clear. I did not post, though, because I could not cross that line, but I was going to him. And so I used to keep up with all the recruiting news and all these type things. And so, man, I was excited when we, when we signed Dexter because that's when Coach O was there. And, you know, Coach O was so much fun, y'all. Like, Coach O was the best. Because here's the thing about Coach O. I could go to church on Sunday when Coach O was the coach, and somebody could have said, you know, Andy, Coach O ripped off his shirt and bit through the jugular of the referee. I'd go, I'll see that. Yeah, that could happen. You know, there, there was nothing off the table, and it was delightful. It was completely delightful to have Coach O as your head coach. You weren't going to win a lot, but it was a fun journey. And so we signed Dexter out of, out of Florida, and everybody knew he was going to be this great athlete. But if you, you know, those of you that are Ole Miss fans probably remember this, for the first two years of his career, he couldn't stay on the field. I mean, first off, he was so little, he was getting crushed in the SEC. But he just, he could not stay on the field. No matter what we did, no matter where we played him, he just, he couldn't, he couldn't put it together. Like, he just couldn't put it all together. Just didn't click for him. For whatever reason, it just wasn't happening for him. Then we changed coaches. Coach Nutt came in after Coach O. And then, for whatever reason, 
the stars aligned. The sun shone down, shone down, and Dexter became something special, like something I just loved watching him play because, like I said, he was so little. He was so little. But yet there he was as a starting tailback in the SEC running for 200-something yards against Tennessee in one of the craziest games I've ever seen in my entire life. It was amazing to watch him. And what I loved about him, I love this about him so much, is if I could have taken his heart and put it in somebody twice his size, they could have taken over the world. You know, we all know a player like that. Just, just They have this heart the size of Texas, and they may not be in a big body, but, man, they're so good. So I loved, I loved watching him because there was something special about the way he just, it finally all came together. For whatever it was, it finally clicked, and he became something special. That's, that, that's why I like him. And I know every, every school, every team has that person that you see. I mean, this transcends sports. Think about in your job. You've probably seen your company, your employer hire somebody, and you say, hmm, they got something special. They got something special. But can they put it together, you know? Can, can, they, can the light finally go off? Will it finally click? And they have all this potential, but can they finally, finally figure it out? And I'll tell you, in sports, one of the things that makes it click, one of the things that makes a truly good athlete, a great teammate, and ultimately a great champion, is they learn to get out of their own way. They learn that the point is not to be an individually great athlete, but the point is to be part of a team. When they can become part of a team, when they get out of their own way, when they put their ego in check, when they understand that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, I think that's when something special happens is when they learn to get out of their own way. I think that's the key. Today, we see our boy Peter. And Peter, Peter might be one of the best case studies in all of Scripture. Peter has a moment, but actually Peter does something, what I just talked about, in kind of in reverse. Because if we would have backed up and read the story right before the text we just read, we would have seen this. One of my favorite scenes in all the Bible, one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture, is what happens previous to this story. Jesus and the disciples are at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a Roman uh, uh, town that they built. And in, in, this, in this town, in this Roman, outside of the town, they had this huge, huge cave. A cave, uh, literally, y'all, bigger than this, uh, our church is tall. Like, a huge cave, huge cave. And in Jesus' day, this cave, the, the Jews, they didn't know how deep the cave went. They were unsure of how deep it was. And this cave smelled of sulfur. It had something sulfuric inside of it that this huge cave with no seemingly end smelled like sulfur. So for the Jews, by the way, I, I, I've been there. And I'm looking at some of y'all in the crowd who have been there with me at this place. The Jews believed that this cave was the literal gates of hell. They believed it was the gates of hell. And then the Romans, they built outside of this cave a huge temple to the god Pan. I don't know how many of you remember from your Roman and Greek mythology who Pan was. Pan was the guardian of the underworld. 
And when you would enter into the underworld, Pan would stop you by putting you in a little frenzy or a panic. So for both the Jews and the Gentiles, they believed this cave cave was the gateway or the passage to hell or the underworld. And so I'm saying all this to say outside of the gates of hell is where Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Peter said, well, some say you're this. The disciples say, well, some say you're this, some say you're that. And Jesus says, great, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, you've done right, Peter. This is not revealed to you by man, but by God. And upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not triumph against it. Jesus says the gates of hell will not triumph against the church while standing literally in front of what they believed to be the gates of hell. Awesome. Like, man, he put, Peter just has it. It's, that's his Tennessee game. Like, man, he nails it. He just gets it right. He worships Christ. He confesses Christ. It's awesome. Like, it is, it is it. That is his moment where it all comes together. Beautiful. One of the best moments in the Bible. One of my favorite moments on the Bible. Just awesome. And then Jesus says this. Okay, so guys, I'm fixing to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'll, raise, be rise, raise, I'll rise again. And the scripture says this. And Peter took him, him being, him being Jesus, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay. Okay. Going to rebuke Jesus. Okay. Go ahead, young man. He rebuked Jesus. I ain't going to happen, Jesus. What are you talking about? But turning or looking at his disciples, he, he being Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you're setting your things not on divine, mind not on divine things, but on human things. Oh, how quickly it shifts, huh? How quickly it shifts. In a matter of moments, Peter goes from confessing Jesus and being told that the gates of hell will not triumph against this church to a mere matter of moments being called Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for your mind it's not on the things of God. So Peter hears Jesus say that he is going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. And Peter's thinking, well, first off, he loves Jesus. Like, he loves Jesus. And if you love someone, you don't want someone you love to suffer, right? None of us want that. So when Jesus says he's going to go suffer, Peter's like, no, Jesus, I don't, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to go through that. So Peter says, no, no, no. Because he doesn't want Jesus to go through this, but let's also be honest. You know, he's got to be thinking, if they're going to do this to Jesus, what are they going to do to me? You know, he was one of the disciples. He was one of the beloved. And he knew that whatever fate awaited Jesus was more likely than not going to await him as well. So he rebukes Jesus and said, no, we're not, do- we're not doing this. No, not happening. Then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, you who are in opposition 
to God, because that's what the word Satan means, not just the literal devil or Satan, but the one in opposition to God. You are in opposition to God. You're in opposition to what God wants. You are in opposition to God's plan. Peter, you've lost the plot. Peter, you've lost the story. Peter, you've lost the purpose of what I'm here for. Get behind me, Satan, because your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. During this Lenten season, we're talking about what we wrestle against. What are the things in our life that we wrestle against? And last week, we talked about how we wrestle against temptation. We wrestle against the devil. We used Mark's illustration of of the temptation account. And in Mark's story, there's just one verse. In Mark's gospel, the temptation of Jesus is not not, not played out like some grand and glorious spiritual battle, but it's one small verse. And I think for us, that's an important lesson for us because when we battle temptation, when we battle the devil, we're often picturing some grand and glorious great spiritual battlefield, what I call spiritual cosplay, you know, we, this great grand battle. But a lot of times, y'all, our spiritual battles just putting our pride in place, y'all. You know, our spiritual battles are not often grand and glorious, but if we're going to be honest, they're often just kind of small and mundane. And those are the hard ones, you know. It's the, the, the small, everyday acts of holiness are always the hard ones. So last week we talked about how we wrestle against temptation. We wrestle against the devil. Today, we wrestle against ourselves. We've got to learn sometimes to just get out the way. We've got to learn sometimes to stop, to check our ego and to check our plans and to check our desires and to learn to simply submit to the path of Jesus, especially, y'all, when the path of Jesus may be hard, especially when the path of Jesus might not be the path that we may have chosen ourselves. I love What Tim Keller said, Tim Keller was the Presbyterian pastor I love so much who passed away last year. Tim Keller said, if we're going to be honest, we would often prefer prefer Jesus to be an advisor instead of being our king. And I like that. We often want Jesus' opinion more than we want Jesus' command. You know, we want Jesus to be one of many voices that we hear. We don't always really want Jesus to be the ultimate voice telling us to do something because what Jesus calls us to do might be hard. Because you've heard me say this before. Something Dr. Bryan used to say in college. He said, following Jesus is not complicated. It's just hard to do. Loving your enemies is not complicated. I just don't want to do it. Following Jesus is not always complicated. It's hard which means sometimes we've got to learn to submit ourselves to him to do that very thing. Now, I made this joke when I wrote my mom's obituary um, about um, my religious wanderings in college when I, when I rebelled against my parents and joined the Baptist church. So I, 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 I joined First Baptist Jackson back in the, back in the 90s because Frank Pollard was the pastor at First Baptist Jackson. If you've ever heard Frank Pollard preach, you know they're... they're 
None of us, none of us could even aspire to be on the same planet of preaching as Frank Pollard. Um, but that was part of it. But the other part of it was that church at that point had a really good college ministry. And we had a phenomenal um, Sunday school teacher, uh, Miss Cindy Eubanks. Miss Eubanks taught our class and just loved her. And Miss Eubanks said something that stuck with me for 30 years. She said this phrase one day in class. She said this. She said, you cannot say the phrase, no, Lord. Because if you say no, then he's no longer your Lord. We can't say no, Lord, because when we say no to our Lord, he cease being, ceases to be our Lord because our Lord is not someone that we can disobey. When Jesus is Lord, that means we have to submit ourselves to him. That means we have to learn to get out of the way. We have to learn to check our own ego. We have to learn to check our own desires. We have to learn to check our own plans and our own dreams and submit them to Jesus even when they're hard. And frankly, y'all, most especially when they're hard. Because sometimes the path of Jesus that he calls us to is going to be a path that we may not really want to walk. Because our path may, may seem to be better. Let's do a podcast the other day talking about risk assessment. The average American, like, has incredible anxiety about flying, but very little anxiety about driving. Whereas statistically, you're a thousand times more likely to die in a car accident than you are in an airplane accident. But we have in our minds the notion, well, my hand's on the wheel, so I'm in control. My hand's on the wheel, so I'm in control. Maybe. Are you, control, are you in control of the guy driving next to you? Are you in control of the guy that's going to run that red light? Are you in control of what's going to happen to cars ahead of you? Of course not. We know. And by the way, intellectually, we know that. We know that. But if we feel like we've got control with our hand on the wheel and we feel safer, even though statistically we're safer in an airplane, We feel better when we feel like we're in charge of our lives, don't we? When I'm in control. When I'm doing what I want to do. And we're just like that great athlete that hadn't quite figured out. The way to become a champion is not about being the great individual athlete, but it's to understand that you're part of a team. It's to submit yourself to the will and the good of the team is how you achieve greatness. How we achieve faithfulness as Christians is not with me being in charge and triumphing and doing what I want to do, but it's about checking my ego, checking myself, and submitting myself to the will, the desire, and the plan of God. Frankly, y'all, especially when it's the hardest. I mean, look at our boy Peter. Peter's the best. Peter's so much fun. Peter's so much fun. Later on in the Gospels, uh, on the night of the betrayal, uh, they're going to come to arrest Jesus. And our boy Peter's not going to like that. I mean, he already gave us a heads up. He wasn't in favor of Jesus being killed. So they come for him. So what's our boy Peter do? He takes out a sword and he lops off an ear. And y'all, if we're going to be honest, there's times in our life we want to lop off ears too, don't we? 
right? Let's be honest about it. We're in church. We can tell the truth. There's times in our life we want to take, off our, take out our sword and lop off some ears. There's some folk out there who we think deserve some of our judgment and some of our vengeance. And it feels good, doesn't it? I always like the old joke by Rich Mullins. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but I just want to be about the Lord's work. Sometimes we want to lop off the ear, don't we? What did Jesus do when Peter lopped it off? Picked it up. And he healed it. If we're going to be honest, a lot of times we'd, we'd rather walk the path of extended sword with ear lopping than we would walk the path of healing and restoration. Because that path is hard, y'all. Because people are messy and sinful. Lopping off ears is a lot easier than cleaning up a mess. But one path leads to life. And one path leads to a hardened heart. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. You never win by taking the low road. You never win with sword, swords and ears. But they always say, take the high road. There's a lot less traffic there. Our biggest battle, y'all, is sometimes within ourselves. Sometimes within ourselves. When we want to do the thing that we know we're here. That's not it, y'all. That's not the path of life. God has something beautiful, something lovely, something life-giving for us that comes when we learn to submit ourselves to him and to his will, especially, y'all, most especially when his path that he calls us to walk is hard. Is hard. That's when it's, that's when it's hard, y'all. That's when we want to say, no, Lord. That's when we want to be like Peter and rebuke Jesus and say, no, that can't be right, Lord. That can't be right. But what did Jesus tell Peter? Your, eye, your, your mind's on the things of man, not of God. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I fain would take my stand. I take across thy shadow as my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to not let the world go by, to know no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame. My glory, all the cross. Keep your eyes on the cross, y'all. Like I said, I'm reading this phenomenal book by a pastor by the name of Brian Zahn right now about the cross. He says, the cross shows us the lengths that God would go through, go through to save us. It shows that God will go to any length to redeem us. We just have to receive that gift. It's a beautiful thing, y'all, to understand what God wants to do. Peter didn't understand it. Frankly, y'all, I don't always understand it. I doubt very many of us, many, very many of us understand it because if we understood, if we understood it, it wouldn't take faith, right? That's the thing about faith. Faith's hard. Faith takes trusting we don't understand. 
But that's what God calls us to. To get out of our way, to check our egos, to check our desire for control, and submit ourselves to him and to following him. Because, y'all, when we follow him, when we follow him, it's only in that path, only in that path, do we find the life that we seek. We wrestle. We wrestle with ourselves. May we always say, yes, Lord, even and most especially when that's the hardest. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.